Welcome back to the Bravo Zulu podcast, episode number 55, the 05 level. Hey, so I got this buddy. Uh, he's 05 commander, Navy, right? For those that listen, you know. And, um, you know, we, we don't hang out a lot because he doesn't live here. Uh, we're actually friends through our wives. And it's always interesting in time I get around and we were able to talk shop to get that. Oh, well, you know, he hasn't always been an 05, but to get that 05 level uh, perspective now about how he sees things working through, you know, the potential command uh, when he goes to command and takes command of, of a you know installation or whatever he does, how he processes thoughts and, and, and his actions towards things. And get just that top down, you know, from the what we see the most in the day to day, you know, it's not often shared uh, so candid um, with, you know, general listeners like this. Right. So I hope you enjoy it. As I said, I think it's really good perspective on the couple topics that we touch on, um, including, you know, very popular one last year, Captain Crozier. So, you know, uh, make it through the whole hour and a half, hour and five minutes. And I don't think you'll be uh, you'll be sorry about it. Don't forget, like and share, set up automatic downloads. If you're listening to iTunes, please stop by, give it a five-star review and or five-star rating and leave a review if you're enjoying it. Most importantly, if you do enjoy it and you're getting some kind of value, even if it's somewhat entertaining, please share it with a friend. All right, thanks. Hey, welcome back to the Bravo Zulu podcast, episode number 54. Uh, hey everybody, uh, your host Josh Moore is a dumbass. We started recording once. I didn't push record. I said, "Damn, Pat, uh, that's not the first time I've done that." I once went with an hour doing it, and I, I hit the music again, and still hadn't pressed record. <laughs> Yo, it, uh, and I, I, you know, this is this morning time, people. I have not had a drink. I'm sipping on some ice cold water. Anyways, Pat, uh, welcome to the show. Um, appreciate you uh, uh, joining us. You're a uh, 05 Navy. Commander, congratulations, yep. right? Thank Big, you. Big, huge milestone. No longer a junior officer, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I asked you to come on because me and you, you, you were saying, you're how long have you been in? 16-ish? Uh, no, uh, hold on. Coming up on 15. Coming so, up on 15. 15. Wow, man. Yeah, I'm only, so I'll be 17 in December, and it, yeah, it, it's amazing. Amazing, you know, 05, is that moving fast for you, or is, or is that just right on time? It's it's on time in the sense, so I got, it was my first end zone look. Um, I mean, the the chance, the percentage of people that get selected for an 05 below, a below zone, like early, is extremely small. Like, the only career fields that really get that are the smaller ones. Like, like I know, um, like the IP, IT career field, um, because it's such a small community and they don't have a, a lot of um, senior officers. So those, those guys promote early sometimes, but so it's, I, it's my first look that, the, but I'm putting it on sooner because um, each, each year they can select a certain percentage of selectees to what they call um, merit reorder. And basically regardless of where you are, in terms of, um, your, your time in service they, you automatically get bumped up to the first promotion window, which is October 1st. So, okay. So you'll be so putting it on. Yeah. So I got merit reordered and, and bumped up to the top of the list. Awesome. That's, that's, uh, that's great to hear, man. I'm proud of you. Not that that matters, yeah. but I mean, it's fucking awesome, bro. You know, awesome for you and the family and everyone. Uh, huge congratulations from our family to yours. Um, so, you know, you're in the SWO community, right? Um, are you still looking at the command route or have you kind of, uh, gotten out of that? Yeah. So, so I'm still, so I was selected for command. Um, but like you and I were just talking about before we started, um, you know, because of family, um, considerations and other aspects. So I was selected for command and command afloat. So, you know, supposed to be going back to a, a ship as XOCO. Um, but what I did is we call a list shift. And so I submitted a, a request letter that was approved um, earlier this summer and basically shifted me from the command afloat list to command special missions. So those, those jobs are like short commands, um, like reserve uh, or recruiting districts are, are under that. Um, things like the some of the small boat 
squad like riverine squadrons yeah. are, are so it's still a command but it's not it's not it's not a ship so so I won't be going back to the ship. okay so you won't go back to a ship at all anymore yeah. even yeah. bigger congratulations let's clap it up for them people come on i take that if if i were to continue on mako six and select for major command i could go back to a ship from okay or to a quote command for major command um but that's only if i go past 20 years and you know We'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, well, you know, those, you know, those are things I think often people don't consider uh, from the wardroom side of things, right? Is um, us on the enlisted side, we have all the problems and you guys have the life that's all good because, you know, you get a parking spot and you get paid a lot more. Um, you guys have just all the same family issues and problems and things going on in your lives that we do. So, um what are say to, go ahead i'm oh, sorry well i was just gonna not say like yeah it's certainly um every, each each side of the, the coin has has their issues the one thing too with us is at least in the swole community um we don't have quite the the stability of you know like so your first enlisted tour on a ship how long were you on that ship well, I did. So I did kind of like split kind of my first actual mm-hmm. ship was a USNS. So that was oh. only a one year tour because it, it was, it. It's, the, it's the life. But then I owed the yeah. sea time. So then I went to a destroyer and I did the three years there and my sea time was met. But yeah, usually yeah. it's the it's the like what 48. Yeah. Three to five or five years four four and a half yeah. to five years for your yeah. first sea tour. And we're good. You guys, on the other hand, two, it's, two and a half or something. So, so it, and, you know, it depends. So your, your first division officer tour, and they changed it since I was a divo. It used to be, but it's, it's around 27 months for your first divo tour. But then after that, every single tour, seat tour after that is 18 months. Um, and so, you know, and maybe you go to a, a, so as a department head, you know, I did two different ships. Uh, luckily, they were both in the same location, but there's people who you go do 18 months on one destroyer for your first department head, and then, you're moving to the East coast for 18 months, you know? So it's definitely that aspect of like our tours are a lot shorter, um, which one makes it harder for you to get into your job and, and really, you know, get going. Cause just as you're really comfortable and, and knowing what you're doing, it's time to change jobs and go to a new. Group. And then, and then just that family aspect of, you know, yeah. We, so when we, before, before Virginia, um, man, we, you know, we moved what five times in like, you know, seven years or whatever. Just and that yeah. was and that was cross country, right? So I was we were in Monterey, then went to Rhode Island, then back to San Diego, and then back to Virginia. So, um, so yeah, there's definitely that aspect of the the officer, the slow life as an officer. You're you're you have a chance to move around a lot. Yeah, and then, and then really in reality, and that's something I told you know told my wife is that um, the one thing to consider is as you get higher up you have less control, right? Cause it becomes much more, okay, we need, you know, this 05 or this 06 bill of filled and you're, you're going, you know, I had a, a former boss who was on my last suit to do with me and he came to the Pentagon right after I did. And then three months later, they moved him back to San Diego because the chief of staff position opened up. And so he had just moved from San Diego to Washington, his entire family, and then had to turn around and move all the way back like three months later. And it's just and stuff like that happens all the time. Yeah, at the at the senior level too. It's crazy. Yeah, that's uh, something you know. As being a chief now, you know, for a few years now, um, and even before watching other chiefs, like you see that too, right? You guys, you know, your 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 uh, my navy assignment, your detailing, I think works quite a bit different than ours. Um, Similarish, but I, I think so. Would you say you guys have? or they take or consider your input a bit more than like the enlisted side? Um, I think I honestly, I think it depends. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been fortunate that uh, most of my jobs I've been able to get that were pretty, pretty much in line with what I wanted, uh, or at least two, two of the three things, right? Cause what, at least in this, in the, most often what we do is that you, know, you put in your preference list and um, you you're coming up for your slating period. You're within your, your slating window and you say, 
okay, um, like say you're going back to like when I'm going back to when I was going to the department head, it's like, okay, here's the, you know, make your top three of which department head job you want, whether it's ops, you know, engineer, chief engineer or uh, weapons. You make that list, then you make your list of ship type that you want to be on, and then you make your top list of locations. And then tell us which one of those three categories is most important. And then they try to line you up based on that. So like for me, I, when I was in the department, I wanted to be an ops on the DDG in Everett. Um, but I, so I got ops on the DDG, but I was in San Diego in, instead of Everett. So um, they try, they try to line you up. Um, but like I said, as you get more senior, so like when you're going back for command, it's like, okay, well, you know, great. Tell us what type of ship you want to be on. You already know you're going to do, you know, XOCO. Um, and that kind of limits it, right? Because there's only so many, ship types that do 05 command um and you can tell us where you want to go but at, at the end of the day you know like the guy that i relieved at my current job um he you know he he spent he was prior enlisted fc so he spent all his life working on ages working on ddgs you know he was combat systems officer, all that stuff and so you're thinking okay they're going to definitely send him to be the ceo of a ddg no he got and he wanted to go ddg and he didn't want to go um Amphit. And he wanted to go anywhere but Florida, and he got LCS in Florida. Oh, like, <laughs> I feel for him. LCS, big thumbs down. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, he, so at that point, he's like, you know, I couldn't even get the ship type I wanted or the, you know, it's just, but that's how, that's how it works, you know, because it's all that at that point, it's all timing. Like, when are you coming out of the pipeline to be an XOCO, and what ships do we need to put people on? Yeah, and right now, so. I, I talk about the LCS community a lot. That That's where I'm at here, and I'm at LCS, Ron. Um, in San Diego and on, you know, attached to a ship and they need everything. They need all the rates. They need all of the ward room. They need everybody. It's sad how it's not happening for whatever reasons, way above my pay grade. You know, you're talking big Navy, you know, billeting and, you know, whatever. I don't understand it. All I know is it doesn't work because we don't have people. And a lot of pre-coms and people don't have people. And, you know, it's like for your buddy, you know, it's they're like probably, hey, this ship needs to be code 100, what they call it, like sea duty. Uh, all they're missing is a CO. And you yep. and so you're going now, you know, so, um, you know, that's that's unfortunate. Let, let's uh, you know, one thing I said we want to touch on uh, we will back it up. You've been in 15 years. So you came in 2005. Uh, commission 2006. 2006. Okay, through the uh, uh, ROTC program? Yeah, so I did Naval ROTC at um, NC State. NC State. Was that Wolfpack, right? That's right. Yeah, all right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Better than, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so, you know, um, today, of course, 9 11, um, 2001. <clears throat> Where, where were you? You were in high school at the time, 2001. Take yeah. us kind of through like your, your 9-11 experience and then, you know, the effects and that it had on you. Um, you know, did it push you to military? Did it make, was that a, a key thing of you going or even just through your career progression, the, the war on terror, you know, what kind of impact yeah. that had on you? Yeah. So you know, I was a senior in high school. I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing. So I was a senior in high school and at my you know school, we had this thing called, um, I forget, it was like senior waiver. Basically you could go in the morning time. Um, if you had enough, if you didn't have you know too many classes you had to take at the high school, you could go in the morning time and take classes at the community college down the road. And so that's what I was doing. And so I was coming back to my high school um, after doing my morning college class. And I was walking from the, you know, I just parked my car. I was walking into the, to the high school and a guy I knew was coming out and he just looked at me and all he said was, dude, something just hit the, the World Trade Center. I'm like, what are you talking? He's like, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. It's, you know, the World Trade Center just you know exploded. And so I ran inside and, and ran into the library because that's where we waited. If you're coming from senior waiver, you waited in the library until um, the next period started. So I went in there and the news, the TV was on. And as I walked in, that's when the second plane hit the second tower. Damn. And I was just like, like everybody in the room, you know, like, holy shit, what the hell just happened? So where, where were you? Said, like what state that? were you in? You're East Coast? Maryland. Maryland. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you're, you're 
on time. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. And so it was like, holy shit, what happened? You know, because because everybody, nobody's thinking. People hijacked the plane and flew into the World Trade Center. You're thinking, how did planes just fly into you know? And um, and so it's just you you couldn't believe it. And I think the rest of that day, everybody's just in disbelief, trying to understand what right. the hell just happened. Um, as far as me joining the military, I had actually already um, been accepted to the ROTC scholarship. Okay. Right? So I had already made my decision to, to join the military before 9-11 happened. Um, or I guess it was, I was already in process of, of, you know, I'd already applied for those scholarship program and cause you have to do you know, a series of interviews and stuff like that. But, but I had already made my decision um, my junior year that I was going to do ROTC and, and go into the Navy. So, so it, I, I wouldn't say it didn't um, like change my mind or it didn't make me want to join the military, but you're certainly then it's playing there like, you know, holy shit. I'm, I'm now jo- going to be joining the military in a f- you know, few years that, you know, who knows what's going to be going on. Once, once more information came out and you understood, and then the war on terror started and all that, you're like, okay. Um, it, it, it made it, I guess it made it more real. Not that it wasn't real, um, which I can talk about that because there's some people that came into the ROTC program in college with kind of like misperception of what it was going to be like. And it always baffled me. And um, because, you know, we had one kid not to go to go off on a tangent, but we had one guy that like decided to drop out of the program because he's like, yeah, it's just not funny. And I'm like, well, that's because we're actually one, they're paying us to go to school because in three years we're going to, you know, put on a real rank and now become officers in the actual Navy. This is no longer your high school ROTC after, you know, after school program. This is legitimate. They're, they're going to be hard on us because they're training us and getting us ready to actually become commissioned officers in, yeah. in the Navy. Um, so but the world, I guess, you know, kind of made it more real in the sense of like, okay, now there's really something, you know, going on in the world. Um, that that I have to prepare myself for that I'm going to be entering the military and having to carry out you know missions or whatever and in operations in support of this so so that's kind of money isn't it um you know through through your time as, as you know divos and department heads you continue to see that through sailors though I don't know if you see it like on the on the war room side of things but on the enlisted side you see yeah, you see junior sailors yeah, come in yeah. and they're like, "Oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm here for college." And it's yeah. like, mm, "Nah, not really. It's a benefit, you know. You can get it afterwards. You could do some TA during, but that's not what you're here for, man. You're here to do war, and and that's not. To, I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm not here being my war drum. You know, I'm I'm definitely not. But there, you know, we are a war machine, and that's what we're here to yeah. do. And you know, so do you see that on on your side? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you see it, you, you see it within the wardroom and then obviously you see it with your, your sailors too, that, that way. And, um, I mean, it would, it would always frustrate me and piss me off when you get the, the sailors or the people that complain about, you know, we're on sea duty, we're on a ship and then they're, they're complaining about going underway and trying to find ways to not go underway. It's like, you joined the fucking Navy. Like, what do you think was going to happen? You know, yeah. the Navy have ships, ships go out to sea. Like, we're going, we're, you know, we're doing more so as we don't like, what did you think you're, you know, you're, you're getting into? So that kind of always baffled, baffles me when people were like, you know, yeah. And tra- I mean, nobody wants to be away from home, but you accept that reality and you yeah. understand that reality when you join the military. And then when you join the Navy, you understand, you know, that you're, you're going to be stationed on a ship and ships go out to sea. That that's how it does. I, I always mean, tell people I had no idea what the Navy was when I joined. Like I have no, I had no idea of rank structure. Not until I opened up my little Ricky book and, and saw there's an E side and an O side. I thought it was like call of duty where you just work from the very bottom and then you end up being a four star or something. If you stick around long enough or something, I like, I was so oblivious to it all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I knew they had ships, you know, you know, mostly Navy seal shit, you know, but I, I really had no idea. And, of course, today, like you said, like, no one likes to leave. No, no one – I mean, there are yeah. people out there that love to go underway, that love to say goodbye and, and go. And I don't know. It's not me. I don't like it. I'd rather be here with the family. But 
it is a part yeah. of the job that we've you know learned to accept and hey you know go out there do it come back home that's what we got to yeah. do i would say you know for me personally from a professional work standpoint i'd much rather be out at sea on deployment and not dealing with mm-hmm. that, you know because the because the training cycle sucks yes you know getting getting because that you know you have people constantly on your ship telling you you're doing shit wrong or you, you know this that and the other and you know deployment at least you can finally just go out and you do your job and it's you and the, the crew and your your fellow you know shipmates and you're doing your job but yeah from the personal side of it yeah it sucks like it's deployment's terrible a lot right? of people don't understand that that being out on deployment is the best six months of the cycle yes you know, the, the, like we started basic phase and it's, it, I mean, like we're in week two and you can already see the writing on the wall is, is this is going to suck, you know? And, and, you know, in the LCS community where you're sharing ships and, you know, who gets yeah. how much time and, you know, there's a whole mess about that, you know, like it, it's tough. But like you said, it, um, once you're out on deployment, it's a, everything just shuts down outside of it and it's just you guys in between you know the bulkheads and and you go do it um so so you 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 already applied or approved for rotc you join up yeah go ahead yeah yeah so i joined so i you know like i said you have to do some interviews so then you you know because it's a scholarship um program but so you you sign up for the program and you actually it's it's kind of nice in the sense that um you kind of get a free year, right? And so you don't make your final contract commitment until after your freshman year. So going into your sophomore year, um, you make that final, okay, you sign on this line, you're telling us that. And basically what you tell them is um, they're, you know, they're going to pay for your, your college um, and they've already paid for your freshman year, but they're, they're going to pay for your college. And then as repayment, you're going to serve, you know, at least four years, active duty as a commission officer, or if you decide to, you know, drop out before um, your commission, you, they can, they can get that repayment. Either they just, you have to pay the Navy back the money or they make you enlist once you graduate college and you serve back the other time, which I saw happen to a couple of people. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. We had, a, we had a guy who, um, I don't know why he, he joined a military royalty program, but he was a pacifist and, and the war and terror was gone and he didn't want to go to Iraq or, or anything. And, and so he said, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pull out the program. I'm going to resign. You know, I'm not going to take my commission. And then he actually came back and said, okay, well, when you graduate, you're going to go to boot camp and you're going to serve four years as an enlisted sailor. And so, um, bad choice. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> do the four years as an officer. <laughs> and I don't think he really thought the reality through of like the, we're talking about you know Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, it was the height of that time. I mean, what are the chances the Navy's not going to want everybody they can get right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that I saw that happen to to him, and then uh, I actually had another friend of mine who declined his commission so he could actually enlist in the army because he'd want to go army special forces, which they, actually, they let him do. They're like, okay, well, you're going to serve. You know, it took a little bit because of course the Navy's like, well, no, we paid for your college. Like we wanted, and somehow they worked it out to where he was able to enlist in the army. But, um, so yeah, so before what's, what is nice is, so after your freshman year, you know, so each, each summer as a, as a ROTC person, as a midshipman, you do a summer training, just like the Naval Academy guys do. And it's like, you know, usually three to four weeks. Um, and so the one after your freshman year, you get to kind of, you go spend a week with each community, um, to kind of start formulating what you want to try to do in the Navy, but at least it's, so you get some time out on the ship, out on a submarine, you, you know, we go spend a week with the Marines and stuff like that. And at the very least before you're signing that final contract and going into your sophomore year, you've at least seen a little bit, a glimpse of the life in, in, you know, actual active duty, um, but yes, yeah, so you, you sign that paper and, and going into your sophomore year and then, you know, it's either you're, you're commissioning or you're going listed or if you're lucky, like, you just pay the money back. You don't make it all the way through. So, yeah. But during that time, that, that was the height of it, right? Like, yeah, yeah there, was there, there wasn't much need, you know, 
need for repayment via money or <laughs> bodies. Yeah. So, you know, you're 15 years in now. I did a live stream uh, last night talking about 9-11 and stuff, and Nikki was there with us. And then, uh, you know, people in the chat room and stuff on YouTube. Um, and, you know, it's l- – let's fast forward 20 years from 2001. We just saw yeah. everything that was been happening in the news with Afghanistan. And we got all the, yeah. you know, all the Monday morning quarterbacking and, and the, the politicizing of it and everything like that. And we're losing sailors and Marines, you know, out there because it, it's still wartime, people. Like, you know, I don't think people fully understand that for these last 20 years, it, it's it's been it's been war. Right. Yeah. So for your career, how has that global war on terrorism like shaped and molded you? as that O five commander leader. I feel um, like go 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 ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, good. I, I was gonna say because I feel sometimes like, you know, it's not not just the nation, but we often forget, like until you're in the training cycle or something or you're or you're actually out there that the, there is war and that there are people trying to do harm and it's only the little blips on the radar, right? Where it's like, oh yeah, 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 war. Yeah. You know, terrorism and stuff like that. Because when we're here at home and, and we're just going in and doing the seven to 16, you know, it's doesn't feel like it. So again, you know, as that Oh five level, how has it shaped and molded you as that leader or just personally? Yeah, I think, well, I think what you're kind of touching on is, um, it, you, you have to constantly remain aware that it's going on that, you know, and I think being in the service, you, you have a little bit more of that constant awareness just by the nature of like, even, you know, in my current job, I'm not dealing, you know, anything to do with operational stuff in the sense of, you know, I'm in a more acquisitions focused command where it's about, you know, future capabilities. Right. But, but there's still, you know, people when you, you see reports and, and then when you see stuff on the news, it makes you, you know, that, that leader part of you, the part that remembers, okay, you know, I was just on a ship and I'm you know, going to go back kind of instead of, you know, I think just as a regular a normal civilian, maybe you see the news and you kind of read about, but we look at it in a different context of like, you can see a news report and kind of think about, okay, well, what would I do if I, I was in that situation or, you know, try to kind of understand a little bit more about what's going on or maybe, understand that, you know, on the surface, it may look like this was a bad move or a bad decision, but, you know, as a person who has to make those kinds of decisions in leadership roles, you know, there's, there's a lot more in the internal workings and the internal decision-making process that people don't see um, just by news reports and stuff. But I think, I think the the continuous, because it's been continuous, like I said, the way it's shaped is that, you always have to remain aware of what's going on because at some point in time, you're going to go back to like, regardless of what short duty job you're doing, you're going to go back to a job where you're going to have to really um, be able to now make the decisions that affect operations involved in, in something like, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, and so I, I think that, may, I, if that answers your question, just, yeah, um, it, 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 it's just, it's, I guess the easiest way to say is it's allowed me or kind of focused me or forced me to remain operationally focused or, you know, conscious um, or conscientious while not necessarily being in an operational job. So that when, if called upon, like, you know, not, not as much now, but, you know, back in the height of all this, when people were getting IA'd all the time, pulled, being in, pulled from jobs and, and getting sent on IAs. And so you had to be ready. Like you could get that call from your detail saying, Hey, you know, in 30 days, you're reporting here for a 12 month IA to Iraq. And you have to be mentally prepared for that. Right. And and know, okay, I may be enjoying this nice short duty job, you know, doing whatever I'm doing, but there's a chance I could get pulled. And if I get pulled, I have to be ready to go now step in as an officer, in an unknown environment, you know, who knows what role and, and step in and, and be a leader. So what kind of, um, I think it's proper, uh, word would be like more kind of mentoring. Have you received from some, from some of your, uh, you know, 
wardroom mentors um, on that command level, like decision making and stuff? Um, you know, I think the best lessons have been honestly through observation. Um, and, and actually when I was, actually it was my, after my freshman year, when I was a midshipman on my summer training, the, I was on a um, LSD for my surface week and I was talking to the XO. We were riding a bus to go to something. I forget what it was. And I was talking to the XO at the time. And he actually told me a couple of good things that I always carried with me as good, you know, things to, to think about. Um, and one of them was never make a career decision in terms of like getting out, staying in based on the experience of one job, because the beauty of this job is one of the, you know, the bittersweet of the job is if you hate a job, hate a current, you know, bill you're in, you're only there for 18 months, two years, and then you're going to go to a new job. Right. And so that was a good one. But the other one was a leadership thing. He said, every, every leader you'll have will provide you leadership lessons. You have to figure out whether they're providing you good leadership lessons or, or bad. Right. But, but you have, but you want to observe and take note of both sides of it. Right. You want to learn those bad leadership position or lessons. So you don't do that as a leader when you are in that position. Right. And so I, you know, I've had some, just like anybody, I've had some pretty bad COs and I used the lessons I observed on how they treated their people and how they treated the command and how they led to say, okay, that's not what I'm going to do. I don't want to be that way. And then you've had really good leaders and I've seen them manage that, that ability to get the job done and get it done really well, but not at the expense of their people. And that's the, that's the, for me, that is one, you know, that kind of the top priority of being a good leader is can you accomplish the mission without treating your people like assholes? Right. And part of that is you know, you're treating them with respect so that they turn around and respect you and, and you get, you know, cause you can have, I, mean, I was on one ship where we did really well. We won like the battle E and stuff. Um, but the CEO wasn't that great, but the crew was really good. And so it was kind of, we had all this success in spite of the CEO, not because of, right. But then I was on another ship where it was like people came to work every day and worked their asses off because the CEO and the way he treated people in inspired that or instilled that kind of drive amongst the crew. Like, Hey, this guy cares about us. He's working, working for us, taking care of care of us. So we want to do our, our best to, to make sure that the command is, is successful. So, um, so I think that's, that's kind of how, you know, I, you know, certainly there have been sit down mentor sessions with, with, you know, former department heads or XOCOs and, and, talk through some things, but I think the best is just observing and watching how people who are in positions that I'm eventually going to be in, you know, so when I was a Devo looking at my department heads and seeing how they ran their departments and then, um, you know, as a department head, looking at the XOCO and see how they're running, you know, and just looking at that next level up and saying, okay, I'm seeing what they're doing and how it works and how it doesn't work. And, and that helps shape you as a leader, in my opinion, the best. With that leadership thing at, at that command level, we were talking about this a little bit before uh, we started recording for the third time. Recently, in the last month and then in the last year, you had a couple very high profile, you know, make national news, um, leadership, whatever you want to call it, fill in the blank, uh, fiascos. Um, I don't even know, right? You had Captain Crozier on the, on the TR who made the decision to leak things to the media. And then most recently you had this uh, Lieutenant Colonel Marine um, side who posted videos calling out, demanding accountability of his, um, of his seniors. Right. And, you know, I walked into the office one morning and had, or not, well, shit, I opened up Facebook one day, you know, one afternoon and saw people posting about how, you know, them two together are the perfect chain of command. And then, you know, the next morning I walk into the office and I have sailors talking about how these are great leaders. And so then I have to have a discussion with them. One to, you know, ask them like, why, what makes you think that? What is your process of thought that makes you point out to these guys? And I don't know them, right? 
I don't know, a fucking, I could pass them on the street and I wouldn't even know who they were. So I'm not saying they're bad leaders, great leaders. I don't know them. But I just, as, as a chief talking to sailors, I want to know, like, all right, why are you saying this? Because it's in the news and it's in media, right? You, you don't know the person as much as I know the person either, but you're saying these are great leaders. Why? Um, as, as you, you know, at your level, and these are, you know, like peer, peer group, right? Um, when you see these things happening, what what is your like like personal and professional response um that of course that you're not sharing publicly right because you're still here with us you know still going to work but like what is your personal and professional response to it is are you are you are you just kind of shaking your head like damn like like why um and i'll say too i think there are two totally separate things going on i think the captain crozier thing is a totally separate and completely different issue than the lieutenant colonel thing so you could address both of them or or one at a time um but just kind of take me through your process when you see this thing hit the news like what are you just kind of like well you know you know what's going to happen and you're just you know marching along to to your beat and and doing your thing or you know what what kind of do you guys talk about you know in the wardroom about it at at that senior level yeah so i think i'm I'm more familiar with the captain um you know because i was actually i was in the pentagon when that happened. And so I was around people that were kind of, you know, cause I, I worked within the, the secretariat. So I, you know, heard the conversations that were happening to a certain degree within, you know, secondary offices and, and stuff like that. But, um, um, cause then we can even go into, no, we won't go into that, but, um, I, there's, there's a part of me that understands that, that Captain Crozier was, he was doing what he thought he needed to do to try to get help for his crew. Right. For us to sit on the outside and say, we would or would not do the exact same thing, right. Until you're in his situation. And, you know, because we, when it first came out, you, you know, there's no investigation had been done yet, so nobody knows the full details of okay, what other steps have been done, what other methods have been attempted before he he went public, you know. Um, but but I think I don't know. My my particular is like you, you got to try. It doesn't to me outside looking in and knowing what I know that every method you know internal to the Navy and the command was exhausted in trying to get re- get the help and relief that he was trying to get. Right. Um, or, or it wasn't happening as fast as he could. And then that's probably partly because, you know, that was still fairly early on in, in the pandemic. People were still trying to figure out, you know, and there's, a, and so that, that's the other thing is, um, you know, you also have to, you have to give, you know, give the, the upper chain of command a chance to to respond in the sense of like maybe things were being done. I I get it, they weren't being done as quick as the captain wanted them to be done, and he was seeing his crew, you know, getting sick and, and stuff like that. But um, but you know, the navy and the military, the, the country as a whole was still trying to figure out how to respond and handle things like this. So that's going to take some time, um, and I think. Uh, there probably should have been more and better conversations between him and his, his immediate leadership of, okay, like, you know, what are we doing here? I, I don't, you know, like I said, outside looking in it's, and not being in that position, it's, it's easy to say yes or no, but I don't think he should have gone public like he did um, because, you know, that that's, that's getting, you know, that's getting the one results you want through, an incorrect way, you know? Right. Yeah, it's sure. It got, it got the attention and it got people moving, but it did it in an incorrect way. Um, and it's honestly, it's at a much higher and different and larger scale, but it's the same thing. It's like, if, if I'm a division officer and one of my sailors goes to my department head or goes to the XO and tells them, you know, this, that, and the other is bothering them and, and nothing's being done to, to help them out. And then I get called into the XO's cabinet, you know, my attitude, like, why aren't you taking care of the sailor? He's got this, that, and then it's like, well, he didn't give me, you know, either one, he didn't tell me, um, 
or two, when he did tell me, he left out some details. Or three, um, I'm working on it. I just, you know, we haven't we haven't figured it out yet. Or you know, the chief and I, chief and I were talking about it. We're trying to figure out what the best plan is so we can come talk to you and say, okay, because nobody, you don't ever want to go to the excess field a problem and not a solution, right? And so, um, so it's kind of that that same thing, right? Like, I get it's not working as fast as you want, you know, Sailor X, but it's working as fast as it can. <laughs> yeah so um but yeah so so that's um yeah that that that's kind of a way to look at this it. like you know you should you have to allow the people above you you know if you if you follow if you issue and bring up an issue um you need to allow people time and then especially in, in that type of situation like i said where it's the new pandemic where we're learning new stuff new about you know how it spreads this that and the other every day and then, you know the scientific community the medical community is coming out with, you know updates all the time like it's it's going to take a little bit for navy leadership to figure out okay how do we handle this situation the best? Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it, right? Especially when you, because a lot of people get lost in that, oh, he's a captain of a carrier, right? And and the yeah. level of people that he's talking to, right? I mean, my last command when I stood CDO and I had to check the, the email inbox of our captain NXO, the captain had emails from the CNO, which to me is like... You know, like, like I'm never going to meet that guy. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to have a sit down, you know, breakfast conversation with him. You know, my captain, yeah, every day I stood CDO, he'd be like, hey, come on, sit down, chief. You know, how you been? And, you know, whatever. But he's regularly talking to the CNO. As that captain of the carrier, you know, you're a lot closer to the top than the bottom, and but you're playing this in between. And I think it's just a great point to kind of, to, to put it into more perspective of, that lower command, that divisional, that departmental, and, and just yeah. put it in that perspective, be like, yo, if you're, how would you feel if it was, you know, Seaman Timmy doing that to you or the second class doing it to the chief, the chief doing it to the CMC, right? You know, you, when you bring it down to your level, it starts making more sense of, eh, best intentions, wrong way. Yeah, I think well, that's a key thing to remember, right, is at every level of leadership, you all, you know, you still have a boss, right? And you still have yep. people above you. Um, and, and so, like I said, if at the divisional, it's just, it's the same thing, just on a different scale, but that's why you're an 06 at that level and not a, a one division officer. Right. But it's the same kind of issue or problem of like you, you know, bring your bosses, the, the issue and a potential solution and then let the bosses, you know, figure out, bring it up to their bosses and their, but right. Like that have, that takes time. Yeah. Yeah. On the divisional on the divisional scale and with like a an individual sailor problem, it's quicker, right? Because it has to travel less far, right? It's only going up to XOCO and it's a you know, individual in, it, it, um issue. But when you're talking about a pandemic, you know, and a COVID outbreak on a ship of that size and you're talking about, you know, how do you get people off the ship, how do you not affect the community of wherever you're bringing the, the sale. Like there's a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people that have involved in that decision. That's, you know, that's going more levels, more levels up and it's going, um, you know, much bigger implications of, you know, how the Navy responds. It affects a lot more than just an individual person on that ship. Right. Yeah. You're talking about the it's whole up. country of Guam you know, like, like it's, yeah, it's not just, Hey, I need a, I need someone, you know, uh, above me to make a quick decision. You know, so. yeah, and I think and it's easy because, you know, sailors on the ship do it when a ship's getting told to do something they don't like. Um, but it's easy to not know or, or not see or not understand the, the larger implications of what you're doing. Right. Like we, so my jobs, you know, like my last job, it was much more about looking at the strategic impact of things. And you know, strategic impact, people think strategy and, you know, war, war gaming and stuff like that. But the strategic in the sense of like strategic level, like that high level impact, the, the ripple effects of what you're doing. And 
you know, for that CO, he's trying to get relief for his ship. I get it. But for the secretary of the Navy or for the CNO, he's got to consider how does this impact, you know, the Guam, you know, the local Guam community, how's this impact, you know, this, that, it's just, so when you start talking about that kind of implications and those kind of ripple effects, I mean, the time that it takes to figure something out that's going to work, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you have to add decisional space to that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, you know, cause, and that's kind of taken it in a operational sense of it. We always talk about, like, as a CAO on a ship, you know, you, you want to have as much decisional space as like a threat coming in, you know, so that's why you want to see the threat as soon as you can. So you have more time to make a decision on what to do. And it's kind of the same thing of like, did he give his leadership enough decisional space to, before he went public? Right. Um, and so that, that's, you know, that, I think that's kind of the, the issue with that or the leadership lessons, you know, yeah, give, bring up the issue present your possible solutions, but then you have to give time for, for people to work. Um, and if you're not, if you're not liking how it's progressing, then you don't just go public, right? You, you go back to the and say, Hey, just want to see, do we, do we have an, a better idea? You know, cause I'm really starting to get worried. Um, so that's what I think. Yeah, that's uh, very well put. Very well put. I think a lot of people don't understand that. Um, even myself, you know, I, I ain't going to pretend like I, I, you know, decisional space that I, I ain't heard that before. You know, that's from, thanks there, wardroom. Um, you know, put me on game. So then, you know, you brought up a good thing of, right, of, of you have, he has to push it up. You have to provide those solutions. We all know that, right? You, you never just show up and be like, I got a problem, boss, and, you know, ex-OCO, whatever. And they're just going to be like, okay, especially on the chief side of things, right, where they're going to be looking at, all right, well, chief, cool, you got a problem, chief. <laughs> go go get a solution right all the shit we talk about results and you know not excuses well you know solutions not problems on the other side of this was uh, you know just recently this uh, marine lieutenant colonel who um and we won't get into all, everything that he's he's out there posting but the, his initial of demanding accountability from the senior generals and the, and the, the civilians on that side. And from you having worked there, whatever you can disclose, um, right. Like, and just from your commissioning viewpoint of it, right. Like that doesn't work. <laughs> like you don't right? Yeah. like you don't demand a, a junior does not demand of a senior for some kind of result or, or happening immediately. Um, you know, part of that yeah. video, when he speaks of, you know, did anybody throw their rank on the table and, you know, d- demand this or that, whatever. You know, I was having this discussion with my brother and, you know, there's something that we always kind of talk about. It's like, well, does he know that didn't happen? Was, you know, yeah. like where those meetings and the planning he- were held, he was not a part of. So how can you yeah. demand something when you do not have the full story? Afghanistan aside and, 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 you know, the mess that it was and all that opinions and everything, that doesn't matter. We're just speaking clear, just solely about you can't speak on situations behind closed doors and demand things of people in, in those instances, right? Like, you know, what's your take on that? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I, you see it in, in a lot of things, right, where – um. I think you see it more so today with things like social media and the kind of like the, the drive and desire by people for instant answers, right? Or instant reactions. Um, and we think we have all this knowledge of what's going on, but like you said, like you're not in, you're not in the meetings where the decisions are made on the outside. Sometimes they look like bad decisions, but you don't know, the considerations that went into it. And so you can't sit there and I mean, you can, but it's like you're criticizing the situation that you don't have all the information, um, which means that, you know, maybe the things that you're, you're demanding or you're complaining about, they talked about and said, you know what, you know, the risk is not, you know, the risk is not worth it or, or whatever the, the, the call was made. But um, it's to me, you know, yes, there are bad officers, there are bad leaders in the military. 
but there's also a lot of really good ones. There are really smart people in leadership positions and very, um, very often, I think the, you know, these really smart people are making hard decisions and you know, you have to trust because that's kind of part of it is you have to trust that leaders are, are doing the due, due diligence they need to make the right decision. Um, it's just not always going to be the popular decision, but that's, you know, that doesn't mean that it's wrong, right? It's even if it's not a popular decision, but it's the, the best decision, then, then that's the one you have to go with. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine or believe that, yes, you may have one or two guys who are making bad decisions or don't know what they're doing, but that you're going to have, like for the Afghanistan example, that you're going to have something that monumental, that important, where you don't have a lot of people in the room, a lot of smart people in the room having conversations and discussions um, and you know you're not going to do something like that just on a whim without all possible considerations being discussed, right? So, um, but uh, yeah, so that that's um, that's kind of I, I I would agree with you that it's just um, and then sort of making a viral video about it, you know, demanding these. It's like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. You know, yeah, one can I like I say I can understand him. You know when you want to resign your commission because you're you're you don't you no longer align with um, yeah. you know cool do that um, but do that uh, you know in private with with your with your CEO with your general whatever it is right go go handle that the way it should be handled um, you know. TikTok, you know, uh, craziness like that. That's not, that's not going to get it done. You know, that it's, it, it's, I, I, what I said, what I told people is like, um, he's doing it for a uh, clout. You know, he, he, he wanted that video for clout. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to 100% judge guys. I don't know. But I feel like, you don't get to that rank and that position and think that um, that type of action is correct, right? Right. I, or maybe, maybe you do. Maybe maybe you do. Not everybody has the same leadership principles and beliefs of leadership, but yeah, it it, it seems to me more like yeah an intention ploy as opposed to genuinely wanting, right? Because, because a lot of times that's, that's right. Like you can get attention, but the, the correct way of handling that type of situation, if he's that upset is you have that conversation with your leaders, right? Yeah. You, you can make a viral video that goes viral and gets the public all, you know, riled up, but what actual what change does that do? Yeah. And we know in today's world, the the viral video lasts less than fifteen minutes of fame. You know, your yeah. fi- your fifteen minutes is literally that fifteen second TikTok or or you know Instagram or whatever it is, right? It is literally yeah. nowadays fifteen seconds that you get, and, and it comes and it goes, and we're on to the next thing. Um, and everybody's interested. Yeah, uh, are are you still good to go? You got a few more minutes? Or? Yeah, no, I'm good. Okay, the kids are kids are awake and running around and. My son is playing, you know, but it's all good. All right. So last we thing, do yeah, we just, we just touched on this last thing, right? Um, that that war room chiefs mess relations. And again, we were kind yeah. of talking about this before we started. And, you know, just kind of what kind of chief experience has, have you had, you know, growing up in the Navy, going through your, your career? And then what is the emphasis from the war room side that they that they tell you of that chief um, war, chief officer relation, and really like how serious is it taken? Yeah, um, it, I, it's taken seriously. I told you this before we started. You know, like it from the very beginning as a midshipman, and it's ingrained into you, especially as you're getting ready to commission. Is like, you know, one of the 
biggest things you need to do when you first get to your command as a brand new junior officer is establish that relationship with your chief, right? Because because they're they're your subject matter experts, they're your um, leadership with, within the you know, the deck plates, they're, they're your kind of your ears to the ground, and you know, so they provide you that that support as a as a new officer, and then they provide you they you know they train you, they help help you learn the job you're supposed to be doing as because they see division officers come and go, right? Um, so, but it's not just at the divo level, right? Because even you know, as a department head, you know, I had my departmental LCPO, and him and I were very lockstep, you know, very, very um, in tune with one another and had a strong relationship because that's important too. And then, you know, as an XOCO, you look at the command master chief, right? Um, so it's definitely important. Um, and I think, that like we were talking about, the, the challenge becomes just like not every officer is good, not you know, not every chief is good. And so the challenge becomes for those for those for those divos is um, when they come in and they don't have a strong chief, right? When they have a, a weak chief, um, and and so then they're not getting the the training from a here's how you should be a, a divo. Um, from the perspective of a, of a chief, and then they're they're not getting the support from a workload standpoint. So um, you can you can see the you know the, the divos that come in and don't have a, a good chief to to work with and to lean on because they struggle getting qualified. Um, they usually get burnt out from a work standpoint, um, and it's just you know it. You, you can definitely see it, and like the same thing as at the next level with the department level. If you don't have a good departmental LCPO, it, you know the department head job in the school community they talk about is considered one of the, one of the toughest jobs, right? Because you're still a junior officer, um, but you're running the department a department now, um, and there, there's a lot, and and you're also you know TAO, so there's a lot. There's a lot of demand on the department. So if you don't have a good departmental LCPO, you can get buried very quickly. Um, and so, so I think I told you, you know, I was fortunate that pretty much each step of my career so far, I've had good chiefs that I've worked with, um, you know, successful, hardworking, smart chiefs that knew knew their stuff, knew knew they were doing, and and we had had a really good relationship. Um, but, um, sorry, my son's coming. No, I got it. <laughs> um, but, so, what was, what was I saying? <laughs> Kid going crazy. <laughs> I love it. You know, you know, I'm always in the same situation, and that's why I lock myself in the garage. But, um, no, so you know, you you. I don't even know. I'm just trying to listen to what they're saying. It's so fun. Um, what makes a good chief a good chief from your guys's perspective on it, right? Like, what makes what is it? Is it just you know the good communication between each other, like between that department divo chief, or what makes that chief stand out to you? Be like, okay, yeah, that's a good chief. I have a good chief. Yeah, so I mean, you definitely you want them to know know their job, right, and to be hardworking, um, and and have have the leadership qualities that you you're looking for, um, and you know, as a as a new devo, it's it's hard to know because you know, you know you're right. It's when you first come in, it's like, well, how do I know what a good chief is? But you you can tell as you as you go, you see. What chiefs are respected by the crew? Um, not necessarily, you know, quote unquote liked. You're not looking for the popular person, but the person who is respected by the the crew, and then by, you know, by the master chiefs and by the other chiefs, um, because if they're if they're if they command, not demand, if they command that respect from all those people. You know that that it's probably because they they do their job and they do it well, um, and they're a good leader. So. Um, it's definitely important to have that 
close relationship too. You know, anytime an issue came up, or like a sailor brought up an issue, we'd be like, okay, you know, we'll we'll talk about it. And then the chief and I, we would have a discussion. It's like, okay, what do you think we should do? And like having that genuine, that's important. That genuine conversation, that genuine, you know, back and forth discussion. Um, because I will say a, a mistake that some officers make, they come in, they're like, well, I'm the officer, so it's my decision, right? And that's going to, that's going to drive your chief, chief off. And it's going to, it's going to set a bad, bad relationship because that's the reality is, especially as a divo, you're new, you'll, you know, you've been in the Navy a year compared to however many years for the chief. Like you don't know everything that's, that's going on. Um, so it's definitely, you, you can't come in with that mentality of, well, I'm the officer. It's my decision. I mean, ultimately, yes, it, as the officer, it's your responsibility, but you know, you should have that conversation and that back and forth and consideration of what the chief is saying, because, um, and then the key is, is that the chief is willing to do that, right? Cause some chiefs try to kind of impose their will on the new divo and, um, so, but that's where, that's where, you know, maybe the, the other chiefs need to step in if they see that, or that's where sometimes other leadership, you know, has to step in and, and kind of stop that from happening. Um, and it's, it's definitely a delicate balance, right? Because as a junior officer, especially you, you don't want to drive a wedge between you and the chief, but you also don't want to get overrun by the chief in the sense of where, um, like I actually had one, when I was uh, first toward Divo, uh, you know, we, a sailor wanted to do something and we wound up making a decision to tell him no. And he came back and he's like, well, you're just saying that because you always go along with what chief says. And I had to mm. stop him. I'm like, no, you know, the chief, it, it's my decision as your Divo, but chief and I have a conversation about all these things and we determine what's best for the division and what is the right course of action. It's not me going along with chief. You know, it's me. And he was trying to push that, right? Because I'm the new Divo. I'm, I'm new in the Navy and he didn't like the decision that was made. And so he's trying to push back and you have to kind of squash that and say, no, it's, it's not a me going along with chief. It's a chief and I have a good relationship and we talk about these decisions because that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's just like the CEO and CEO talk about every, and the master talk about every decision before it's made. Right. Um, and so it's, I think that's, I guess that's the, the key with the chief relationship and leadership and everything that I've, really learned and now can see at the point of where I am in my career that it's all the same at each level. It's just on a, on a different scale. So the relationship with the chief and the leadership and stuff like that at the Divo level is the same at the department head level is the same at the CO level. It's just, um, you know, the scale is, is magnified at each level you go up because you have more people that you're responsible for or more things that you're responsible for. Well, it's the same kinds kinds of things, you know. As as ops, I'm never, I'm not going to make a decision that affects my department and the sailors in my department without having a conversation with at least my departmental LCPO and saying, "Hey, what do you think is best? You know, what do you think we should do? How do you think we should handle this?" Um, and obviously, if it involves an individual sailor, then it's bringing in that sailor's chief and divo and say, "Okay, what are your thoughts?" Because um, you know, you have the more day-to-day interaction with this person. Um, and that's something that I think some leaders and, and people forget um, is that you, the higher up you go, the less um, interaction you have with, with people at, you know, on a daily basis. And so you need to rely on the people that do like divos and divisional seats. Right. Um, so, and then, and that's kind of goes back to that thing with the relationship with your with chiefs is understanding that um, even as a dealer, while you may see your, your sailors on a daily basis, the, the chief sees them in a different way. And the chief is, you know, he's there more often on, on the day-to-day work and stuff as you're you know, going to meetings and training, whatever you're doing. Um, and so that's why it's important to, to have that relationship and to listen to your chief because he, and he's lived that life, right? So, you know, me as an officer, no matter how long I 
a man will never live the enlisted life. Um, well, of course, some prior enlisted, you know, have that perspective, but um, I think that's an important thing to remember is that your chief knows what that enlisted show is probably going through too, because they probably went through it, or maybe they've seen they tried to pull those same tricks when they were. <laughs> yeah, definitely that yeah. one. Definitely that one. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, hey, I I know what to look out for because I used to do the same stuff when I was when I was in their position. Um, so. Yeah, I think we'll wrap it there, Pat. Um, it's a great perspective from your from your O five level. Uh, and you know, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and, um, you know, sh- sh- just like I said, share that perspective and point of view and everything. Um, is there anything, uh, you'd like to close out with or give a shout out to or anything like that? No, man, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for, for having me on. Um, happy to share my perspective. Um, it's just, but I, if I would just say, you know, as anything, I'm one individual, you know, so it, what, what I say is just, just kind of how I see it, not necessarily. Oh, yeah, for sure. Not, yeah, I'm about to hit that uh, outro disclaimer to make sure we covered. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pat, uh, just just stay on one one quick moment and uh, let, let me do this and then we'll wrap up. Hey, for more information right, on how you – oh, I'm sorry. For more information on how you can support the podcast, please visit us at anchor.fm backslash Zulu podcast. The information, views, and opinions expressed in the podcast are solely of Joshua Moore and the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent the DOD, DON, or those of the respected institutions or organizations. Thanks for joining us.